This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to have a nice lengthy conversation with UFC middleweight champion Israel Adesanya. I'm going to react to this ESPN documentary on the 90s era Bulls and Michael Jordan called The Last Dance. Plus, we're going to make some comparisons about rehabilitating image between John Jones and Conor McGregor. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156 every weekday at 3 p.m. Don't forget about our mailbag, Show at gmail.com. All right, joining us now on the hotline, a man many of you guys know. He is the UFC middleweight champion of the world. I want to catch up with him, see how he's doing. It is Mr. Israel Adesanya. Israel, how are you, sir? I'm good, my man. What's up, Luke Dog? Uh, let's talk about it. There's a lot of things I actually want to talk to you about, but first things first. Um, Levels. <laughs> quarantine getting to you? How are you spending your days, actually? like, give me, Walk me through an mm. average day over there in New Zealand for you. In quarantine, I've not been bored yet. That's like... Something I'm really proud of. Uh, me. Like, and, and so far, I think it's almost four weeks. I'm like, yeah, I haven't been bored yet. I've just been able to just enjoy all that quarantine brings, uh, the luxury of time. Uh, so, example, I'll wake up around midday, 1 p.m., but that's just because I'm a, I'm a night owl. Like, I'd rather more nighttime than daytime. So I'll wake up around then, and I'll start my day around midday or 1 p.m., um sometimes around now and then i'll just first thing do breathe stretch workout after that uh handle business little things that i've kind of put to the the back burner over the last how long they just pile up a lot of other shit and i just have to kind of like attack them everything detailed because i really don't know how long this this is going to last for uh we're going to have an announcement in new zealand at 4 p.m today that's going to let us know if we're going to be allowed to gather again or whatnot but um yeah uh i just want to break uh so after that i think it gets dark now around 7 p.m and then i just enjoy the nighttime, and i'll probably go to bed around like 4 a.m mm. and then that's how that's my day that's my schedule spoken like a true man without kids <laughs> yeah exactly uh you know i don't want to get too political but i will say this i was looking up some of the numbers for new zealand um pretty pretty fast response to dealing with it talk about flattening the curve you must be at least watched it yeah you must be pretty happy with how things have gone again relatively speaking yeah uh no i think confirmed deaths was like 11 uh there's been thousands of infected. Um, if I can, either hundreds or thousands of infected. But um, regardless, eleven deaths is very small price to play because we all took the initiative and, you know, quarantined. But um, yeah, shout out to Jacinda. She she handled it like a like a true champ, like a true pro. Didn't call it a hoax, propaganda. Just said, right, this seems airy. Shut everything down, and it's paid off. No, you did. I saw you made some donations. The current, let's let's make sure we get the information on this one correctly. You donated both mm-hmm. to your hometown in New Zealand, which the, forgive me, mm-hmm. I cannot pronounce the name. Yeah, Wanganui. Wanganui, and then uh, Lagos, Nigeria, as well. Is it is it both yeah. places? Yeah, Lagos, and also to Auckland as well. But pretty much, shout out to my mom. She's the one that kind of made it happen because she's a nurse, and she gave me some real inside information. Some oh, sorry, my bad. She gave me some inside information on um what was really happening in the hospitals 
uh, it just and she let me know it, they were underprepared. I can't say too much, but then for me, I was, she just kind of reminded me, like and I was like, oh yeah, I got money, and it was her idea to help. And then I thought, oh yeah, if I can help them, then I'll help Auckland, and then after Auckland, I'll help um, Lagos as well, just to help the communities that I've been a part of. And it's it's a it's a nice way to give back and yeah, spend the money on shit to prevent the spread rather than. You know the DHBs buying coolers and freezers to put dead bodies in. Uh, does your mom, uh, without getting too specific, does she work as a healthcare so, professional? Yes, yes, hundred percent. She's she's on the front line. Uh, okay, and so um, so let's transition a little bit to your personal life here a little bit. You had indicated you're sort of working out. Are you? Yeah. What, what are you just like cat breaking a sweat? Like how are you? What are you doing there specifically? Um, I am. I'm doing. I've, I've got an airdyne here, so the airdyne kick your ass. It'll keep you in shape. I'm kind of keeping myself around like fifty percent in shape. Uh, I'm not going. You know, I, I have one training partner in the house, so and he's 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 a lot he's a lot lighter than me in the weight class department. But yeah, we still get work in and we still push each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, you never know when the call might come, and it's like, hey. We need someone for this show on this date, on this island, or on this close location. <laughs> has, I'm like, ooh. Has UFC reached out to you about that? <laughs> not really, not really. But I've put it out there. I've put it out there in the in the abyss, so they know they know they know I'm staying ready. Do you worry about your ability? Oh, to... shit, but it's okay. Do you back, worry? I'm back. I'm... It's all right. Do you worry about your ability to get ready, given the considerations? Like, let's actually say that I'm not saying you're bluffing, but the expression is called your bluff. Is that is that really an ideal circumstance to defend your title? Yeah, I mean, not the ideal circumstance, but I can make. I, I've made do with worse. I've made do with worse back in my day in in China and other situations. So I've had worse, but yeah, all I have to do is stay in shape, a technique and all that kind of stuff. I can I can I can polish down because I'm I've done this for a few years, you know. So um. Yeah, for my next opponent, his style is something I've seen hundreds of times, hundreds of times. So for me, it's just, all right, cool. I know what to expect. I know the kind of pressure to expect, and I know the kind of attacks he's going to bring. So I'm like, cool, I've seen those before, but just got to get fit and then fine-tune. Like, we'll break it down and stuff. They're already working. Like, my, my coaches are already working. And then, yeah, just drills. Drills, drills, drills. Uh, also I'd get some other partners as well we'd have like a really 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 select group of people for a small training camp so we can make do now uh, speaking of which this gentleman the Brazilian opponent who you will likely face next did you see his uh, I think this is what day is it today the 19th so he put this post out on the 16th did you see that where he's just kind of standing there I wouldn't say he's exactly flexing but he's sort of flexing did you see this mm, yeah I saw it someone sent it to me or someone tagged me and I was just like and I don't know what he's He's really bad at shit talking, man. I don't know. Like, he's got this Schmeagol manager, um, that former fighter who, um, who probably tweets for him. But oh, he's Wally really bad. He, Wally Dismile, yeah. He, um, yeah, he's really, he's just, it's so bad. But I don't know what you want me to do with that. It's more fun to poke at Jones. I'll poke at Paula Costa next. But right now, it's just, it was more fun to poke at Jones while he was, he was fresh and he was being a bitch and being a dick. And oh. being told to, to post and delete shit. I want to come back to that in just a second, but let me stay with Costa for one more minute. You mentioned you had opponents. Oh, you mentioned you had opponents like him before. 
for someone like me who would love to go and look that up, give me a sense of who you faced by name that you think has a Mm. relatively similar style. Uh, Kickboxing or MMA? Now, kickboxing is where I'm I'm going to. Kickboxing. Um, Let me see. There was one guy in Australia. I can't remember the name for the life of me. It was on the Knees of Fury show. Um, but even as a sparring partner, I have a boxing sparring partner from New Zealand that I can call upon. A guy called Smiley that I've sparred with him for old camps. But I told him specifically even. I, I DM'd him. and I had, He has the DM. I said, when this fight comes along, I'm going to need you. And he knows. So he's already in. But um, the guy from Australia is the guy I'm thinking about. He was real, same thing, jacked up. Very strong, very comfort high, but gas real quick. And I knocked him out at the end of the first round, I believe. Yeah, but I can't remember his name. Um, but also that style. Even like a guy like uh, my, my teammate, Mark Timms, he's really good at kickboxing. I think he's a better kickboxer than him. Mark Timms also fights um, under, I think, Glory and other shows. Like now he's, a, he's an open contractor. But um, yeah, that style of stand there, jab to probe jab hook he changed he has a nice jab change up hook uh he's he's orthodox he has a nice body kick so he'll jab kick to the body all that stuff that's and that's not it's not faulting anything about about his style it's just saying it's basic and it's really really strong basics but the people that he's fighting don't understand the principles that are at play when when he's playing the way he does he marches forward he's coming linear no lateral movement and all of them just get walked down to the cage and they just stand there and block. And then that's when he's free to unload. So, I mean, you, you, know, you know this. You're going to break this down extensively. And you, you'll you see some of the principles that I played I'm talking about. Example, uh, the footwork. The footwork. In the beginning, I'm going to rely on that a little bit more than usual or I can match his energy. That's one thing that he'll be surprised about. It might be like one of those... Um, like a Nick Diaz daily type thing where it's just chaos, instant chaos until he falls. And it's easy to knock someone out where they're tired. And I know for a fact, I know for a fact, same thing with Romero, I know a fact, I have more in the tank than these guys. It's easy to fuck someone up and knock them out when they're tired, when they want to take a breather. When, example, when he fought Romero, he wanted to take a breather. They both kind of had this unwritten agreement to take a breather because they both fucking gassed. But with me, you don't have that. You want to take a breather, and then I'm still in your face, probing, making your brain work, making you second guess. Is he attacking high, low, mid? What's he good? Is he attacking now? Um, what's he gonna attack with? Is he leading with his, you know, is leading with his left hand? Oh shit, his left hand became a right uh, power hand. How did he do that? Oh fuck, he switched stats. Oh shit, now a head kick. Like. You know what I mean? Confuse them. That kind of stuff. Let me play devil's advocate for that, if I may, which is a guy like him seems to operate on one gear. So, like, no matter yeah. what you're doing, for better or for worse, he's just going to march. So you're you're operating on the presumption that you can make him think. But, I, again, I'm playing devil's advocate, which is I, I don't <laughs> know how much he's really making considered choices. You know? <laughs> yeah, he does work on one gear. That's why I said he's so dumb. He's so, like, very and walks forward and I know for a fact he's not going to just stand there um, and he even he might not even bite on a lot of the things I'm doing like uh, I think Kelvin Gastelum kind of did that a little bit Romero definitely did that just ignore everything completely and just throw perfect 
I mean, look what I did to Whitaker. Whitaker bit on some of the fates eventually, but you know that rushing. Even look at Kelvin as well. Same thing. That pressure game. I welcome that because people still forget counter striking was my bread and butter and still is. You know, my bread and butter. But yeah, it, de- it depends on him as well because I know he, he, from what I've seen so far, he takes a shot pretty well. But this is twenty-five minutes of possibility, so pinpoint accuracy. Even if you do this to someone. Long enough, eventually they're gonna like they're gonna have some brain damage. They'll have a headache. So just keep touching him. That's the main thing. And same thing like I did with with Ke- Kevin uh, Gastelum. Kelvin Kelvin Gastelum. Coach told me, you know, you're gonna touch him. He's not gonna look discouraged. But keep touching him. Just keep touching him. And, and not sure enough, round two, boom, I dropped him. And then, you know, I knew I could make him bleed, so I knew I had to kill him. All right, let's, let's transition to Jones if we can. You mentioned, you know, I was thinking about this today. It's like the echoes with the Cormier rivalry in terms of like the online stuff. It's like, mm. here, here's what I mean. Here, I'm not saying it's not different, but it, this is what I mean. It's like you and Cormier, when you guys are dealing with him, you alternate between rivalry and pity. And <laughs> yeah. and I, it's, it's just, you see it all over the... T- so let me ask you this. Do you think your rivalry, you guys have not fought yet, is online anyway is it the same level of vitriol that he had with cormier or is there more Nah, i don't think so because he's never actually been face to face with me with, with cormier i was at this the second fight that they were face to face in headbutt and they've had like squabbles and shit and it's a it's been a bit more personal because they've been face to face to me I, he might just be just a troll i think he might just be a troll and just trying to like i said you know get me you know while i'm still green back in the day but now i'm learning so yeah um i don't think it's on the same level yeah i don't even think it's the same tone i get what you mean but now with him and dc that's different like they've they've actually been in each other's face but um yeah i do alternate between pity and disgust to be honest but one thing that's airy that dc said that he's gonna fuck up again he's just uh, like a person like him he's gonna fuck up again like he won't learn from his mistakes, and sure enough, what did he do? Six days after tweeting to all his fucking followers and his minions to stay home, what does he do? Ends up outside straight his favorite strip club, fucking taking shots and you know shooting shots. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you about the thing he posted. Where the one loss you had, uh, the knockout loss to uh, Alex Pereira. I'm, not, I'm less interested in the content of that. It's fairly straightforward. But rather, he's mm. done this all his career. Why do you think he posts and then deletes? What is, what is that? I think it's um, his handlers. They're like, bro, you idiot. You're not in the position to be throwing shade at this guy right now. You just got done again for a DUI. I don't know how many that is now. Um I think three or four, whatever it is. It's, uh, so I've done but, the, I've done it. It's it's two it's two DUIs, but remember he has yeah. the third incident where he hit the person and then came back for the drug paraphernalia. So yeah, it's yeah, who knows? And the cash, no, nah, but yeah. Uh, I mean, but he's regardless. It's just some kind of like, why are you even outside at that time with a gun? What are you doing? Like, is he? I don't know. Like, is he? Um, is it like some kind of like? John Wick complex or God complex, like the apocalypse, the world is ending. You know, the streets ain't safe. I'll be back, honey. And just sits out there like, oh, I don't know. 
I mean, the strip club's closed. They said everything's closed, so I don't even know why he's out there. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I can't put myself in that situation that he would even do that. But again, I'm not an idiot, so it's hard to relate. Well, here was yeah. the other, here was the other part about that. I mean, part of what was happening there is John. I mean, I'm not there. I can't diagnose it. The whole gun part mm. thing is like you got to remember America's got a very unique gun culture. Yeah. yeah, and the southwest of America in particular has its own kind of gun culture, for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, but but here's what I would say: even when he's not beefing with you, he had that back and forth with Anthony Smith, where the guy came into Anthony Smith's home. Anthony beat the fuck out of him, sent him on his way, and then John was like antagonizing him for not, like basically like short of taking the dude's life. Uh, which I also thought was just like a really – that's like, that, like that's what you're going to get on the guy about because he beat him with doing an inch of his life, but he didn't choke him the out. The guy talked – Anthony Smith. I watched that literally two days ago. I finally watched that interview with Ariel, and the guy talking – Anthony talking about fighting for his life, you know, talking about his wife and kids, his wife and kids having – and his mother-in-law, I believe, you know. Someone like John who's got, I think, three or four girls or whatever and he's got a wife and kids, you know, like he should be able to empathize and be like, fuck. Good on you for protecting your family. Good on you for for laying it all down. Good on you for your thought process through this whole thing, you know. But I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm like I said, I can't relate because I'm not an idiot. But yeah. So he, did he post the delete with that as well? Uh, I have to double check, but pro- I mean probably. Yeah. I don't know. Probably not yeah. So same thing. He probably did that, and his handlers are like, "Hey, hey, you can't do that. You're not in a position." To be talking shit. Oh yeah, that's a bad idea. So delete, and then he'll uh, just the fakest motherfucker, man. Such a coon, like such. Uh, like I keep saying, he's just the whitest black guy you've ever met. Like he's not, and I know how. Like he's he, the way he conveys himself. He's so. He's so washed. He's washed up, but he's also so. What, what, yeah. what do you mean by washed? washed like whitewashed almost like he's trying to he's like so, like he's trying to appease what he thinks is massa i've seen that through his whole career like he's done it till the the you know that video came out hey pussy you still there and then like the illusion got broken a little bit peep into the cracks for the first time through the viewer's eyes and then eventually people started seeing the crumble like this motherfucker's fake and they could smell it for years that this guy is fake dc being saying it's fake all his peers being saying he's fake. He's one way on TV, but another way in real life. And uh, look, I I, I I agree with keeping your real life and your personal life separate because I've done that with this shit. But you know the, the the personality. I'm not saying even it's it might be part of him, but like obviously it's fabricated. The shit he has on TV, you know, being a a priest's son and all that. Stuff. You know, it's it's like you know how the Catholic schoolgirls are the the freakiest they're the ones that love to ah, get crazy because they've been they've been suppressed <laughs> that's jones jones is a catholic school girl because he's probably suppressed his whole life and you know he got a little bit of change a little bit of notoriety a little bit of status at a young dumb age then he just like going all crazy and sucking every dick in town like finally what's gonna stop me <laughs> yeah do you do you Very think that slut. I, I know this is a little bit out of left field but have you given consideration to the fact that, like, again, New Zealand has done a really great job containing this whole thing, but shit's mm-hmm. like, who knows, in different parts of the world, plus who knows if they're going to lose travel restrictions. 
Could this coronavirus, have you given any consideration to the fact that it could change timelines, not really about when you fight, but about who, namely with Jones, could it get expedited if there's a long layoff? UFC just says, fuck it, let's just go in that direction. Remind remind me what that word means, expedite. Is that like go now? Yeah, I mean like me, uh, make it fa- go faster, like hurry it up. Yeah, oh yeah, easy. Yeah, it can happen. I mean, I've seen them. I've, I've been saying what I've been saying for years, but no one listened to me until they saw the Dominic Reyes, right? Because I, I saw the fight with um homeboy uh the brazilian live in vegas and i remember i'd seen it live because uh, he was right there i checked him out saw him at the prep point and like he's the same height as me he's just got a thick upper body but the skinniest legs and i remember looking at him fight live and i saw the frame rate he was operating at because on tv the frame rate's a lot different and you know, when you see them fight live, you get to see the how they operate, the energy they bring. And watching them fight um, uh, Santos, I was like, hmm, I've seen what I've seen. And I said it, people were like, oh, he's the GOAT, da 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 And after Dominic Reyes, <laughs> the lackluster performance he had. Uh, not lackluster, like the the troubles he had with Reyes, a tall, rangy guy. It's like, oh, maybe Izzy was right. And like, I've been saying I'm right. And what's he going to do? Take me down. Be my guest. Find out about my wrestling, too, because a lot of people find it the hard way. But, yeah, the fight will get pushed up, maybe. But if not, I still have, you know, bodies at middleweight. I still have, uh, like, my plan in place. You know, like I said, variables. This is what I've said. I have always had my plan for variables come and play like this, this whole world lockdown shit. I didn't prepare for (laughs) a pandemic or the end of the world while I was thinking about these things. But if it came to it, yeah. It can happen. Yeah, let me ask you about that Reyes fight because there was a little bit of back and forth between he and Reyes this past week. Reyes said UFC was looking to make a rematch again. Who the hell knows when that will happen? Uh, and then he, Reyes had said John doesn't want another dog fight. And then John's argument is he walked him down. Now he did in the sense that, well, here was the thing. I spoke to Reyes after that fight. What Reyes told me was he wanted to get John moving because through motion he was able to land more um, successfully. So, what, what what is your sense about who really won the the Reyes and Jones fight and why? That's I've watched it once when it was live. I haven't watched it again. I've watched it once, but when I watched it, same thing. I was like, depends which judge is scoring and what they really value. Good thing I'm not a judge, but I could see the argument for Jones and I could see the argument for Reyes. Um, personally, I. I'd have to watch it again to make a choice, but when I watched it live, I didn't really pick a winner. I was like, fuck, mm. it's so close, and I'm glad I'm not judging this fight. But, yeah, I knew it was one of those fights, and I knew Reyes definitely, he he, he brought it to him. Reyes definitely showed that, oh, yeah, he bleeds. Like you, I mean, a lot of people have in the past, but like Reyes definitely showed what I've been saying. Like He's washed, he's washed up. And when I say that, it's like his best years are behind him because he was in this so long, and he's he's been doing this so long. Like he's he's a legend. This guy's actually a you know a walking legend. He's just tainted his legacy with everything he does outside the cage. There's a there's a tweet. It's a pinned tweet on my Twitter. It's it's probably the funniest, most accurate description. I, of yeah, Jones I have it. Bragg. I have it up here right here. Fuck, it's funny. It's just this kid who gets his head stuck in a banister in the staircase, and then he gets freed, and then he literally within three seconds walks back and sticks his head in the banister and gets stuck and starts crying again. I laugh at that because it's the funniest, most accurate description I can think of when it comes to that boy. Let me pick your brain one more time on the Reyes fight. One of the things he had mentioned was, uh, if you look at the the striking total, 
Yeah. So if you look at the striking total, Reyes goes heavy to the body and to the legs, kind of like what you did against Romero, but it went your way with the judges. But I asked him why he did that, and his answer was, John will post with one hand, so you can't really hit his face. He's obviously got that long reach. So the only thing to hit him with is his legs or his body, which is a lot bigger and a lot more yeah. stationary. But as you know, it, again, it didn't, it didn't cost you in the Romero fight, but if you're not popping someone's head back, the damage, mm. the judges see it differently. How do you get around yeah. that with somebody like Jones? Like Jones, definitely what Red said when he posts. Um, one thing also, I'm going to tell you because no one's listening anyway. <laughs> one thing I'm going to tell you is that Jones, Jones definitely turns us back a lot. A lot of people fail to take advantage of that. That's one thing. I can give it away. He takes, that's one thing. He does. He, he turns us back a lot, and people chase him. They chase him, and he has a chance to circle off and then own the center of the cage again, and then continue with his his uh, his dismantling. But yeah, I don't know if you've noticed that when he posts and frames and he's in trouble, and he he has that like he turns his back. There's there's this. I mean, I, yeah. I'll just say I'll leave it at that. Okay. I'll leave it at that. That's one thing. All right. Fair enough. Uh, before I let you out of here, I uh, appreciate your time, of course, uh, Mr. Adesanya. Mm -hmm. So you have a what? You have an update with your country at 4 p.m., your time? To see what, what yeah, happens? we have an update. Yeah, we have an update. Also, just to, just to like air it out clear, I never talk about this bitch unless I get asked. And then it's interesting to talk because it's kind of like a case study on, on – it's like David Attenborough type shit. You're like – because I've watched him for years. I'm like, why does this coon behave the way he does? And then I have to relate to it as well because I, too, myself, am a young black man in a position of power. But like I said, I'm glad all this money, all this fame, all this attention didn't happen for me when I was 23 or 22 because I don't want to compromise my soul. I don't want to compromise my life. I don't want to compromise my, 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 my well-being and my notoriety and my legacy because I've tainted it with all the decisions I've made. I know a young, dumb Israel who's full of cum would have been on some bullshit. I still get on some bullshit, but I'm smart about it. That's a th that's the difference between me and him. But I know at that age my brain and how it was working, and I'm glad no one gave me millions of dollars at that age because, yeah, I will. I might not even be alive to be honest. I'm just being dead serious with you. Like, I, I, I you know, oh, fuck you. Don't want, yeah. This life, I'm so grateful. I, I think it was 28, I've talked about my metamorphosis and the fact that I am smart enough now to make decisions that are beneficial for my life and my future in the best way. And I have the right people around me to tell me. Like, man, Luke, one day you'll see. Like, there's certain things I, 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 I try, but then I have the right people around me just to be like, an hey, idiot. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a really bad idea. Why would I do that? But some motherfuckers don't. They have yes men like, oh, well. You tell them. You tell them. No shit. And then, yeah. But well, the thing I about, never really talk about this bitch unless I get asked about it. Yeah, so that's fair enough. Put that I, out there. I'm asking mm. about it. But to your point, I've often, I've, mm. I tried to defend a John a lot during his career. Believe it or not, and I've often made the point. I was like, I know. I got sick of it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> fa fair enough. A lot, a lot of people got sick of it. Well, here's the point, though. You know, and this is why the conversation I think has shifted a little bit. Which is, you know, when he got a DUI, it's like, dude, I got, a, I got more than a handful of friends that have had you know, run-ins with the law like that, some DUI. Yeah. Uh, but then when it happened a couple of times, and now that we're into the stage where he's in his 30s, I think 
it's where the conversation begins to get a little bit a little bit more different. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And then now, also, it's not the first time Jones has had any issues with guns that everyone knows about. Trust me, I know some shit, but, you know, that's for me to know and people to not know. But, yeah, like, the guy is just a, it's just a weird messiah complex. Like, he runs that town in a way. Like, he just, yeah, it's weird. All right, well, uh, Very this, weird. this is the last thing I'll, I want to ask you. I saw this. This must have been mm. about 12 hours ago, so right before you went to sleep. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you'd been drinking or not, but you had written yeah, on Twitter, nah. "About time to start." <laughs> about time to start tweeting reckless. Getting better with getting better with Twitter culture, though. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, like with Twitter culture is different. I don't really know how Twitter works per se. Like, I didn't at first, but not gonna get the culture. And for me, it's hard to do throwaway tweets, like even just fucking around, like just because sometimes there's certain thoughts I want to. I just want to share. Uh, two seconds, shivers. There's certain thoughts I just want to share, or even if they're not, they might not even be well thought out. But it's just like I'm just putting it out there because it's funny or it's 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 profound or makes you think. But I'm like, fuck, I can't even really throw away tweets because then everyone will just. He meant this. He meant that. How dare you? I'm offended. No, I'm not offended. They're offended. As I would know, we're not. Yes, you are. As like, oh, fuck, shut up. Sorry, not sorry. I'm just talking. But yeah, it was just. Sometimes I just want to tweet reckless and say some 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 funny shit. Things that I just I, I play to my crowd. My crowd is very niche. I play to my crowd, but like but my crowd is like probably six people, seven people. <laughs> but then unfortunately I have hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter, so it's like yeah, they might not get some of my jokes. But you know, like I still do. I still find ways to just kinda like slide it in there. Even in interviews, sometimes I play to my crowd, and then my my friends are kind of laughing, like, "Oh, did you can't believe you said that!" Like inside jokes, yeah. I don't know. I die for my squad. All right. Well, on that note, uh, certainly stay safe out there. I really appreciate your time, Mr. Adesanya, yes. and uh, I guess we'll talk next time. Yeah, definitely. I'll see you around, brother. All right. Take care. Peace. This week on World of Basketball, Tony Ronzoni, the director of player personnel at the Dallas Mavericks, dropped by to discuss what it was like scouting a young Luka Doncic. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I've never encountered a kid at his age that had me, when I walked in the gym and I walked out as, this kid is special. I've never seen a kid with a swag and a no fear factor and a confidence level he had for a kid coming from a small country of Slovenia with two million people. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the Sirius XM app and Pandora. All right, so let's get into this. I, I know that some of you guys who listen to the show who think that we should be talking about the the relative value of the open guard in the Japanese 100 atom weight division. You know, just absolute zero connection to what anyone actually cares about. But there's this documentary going on. I believe it's a 10-part documentary. Parts 1 and 2 aired yesterday. They actually expedited the timeline and aired it earlier than it was intending to air. It's called The Last Dance. And it is basically about the 90s Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan and their reign of dominance. And it's positioned early anyway. The Last Dance is them heading into that sixth and final season when the gang was sort of all together could they win one more? And as we know, they did, but it essentially features that. But it tells an incredible amount of story. Now, I think some people are saying that this is like, oh my God, this is the best sports documentary ever. All right, well, it's not that. 
But I will say, there's a couple things, a few things I like about it, Cobb. One, I I said this on Morning Combat earlier. I didn't grow up with a family that was like into basketball. I mean, they weren't into sports generally. They were into math club and, you know, debate team and that kind of a thing. And so, to the extent that I'm a sports fan at all, it's sort of a minor miracle, to be honest with you. But it was the 90s Bulls, and I realize that it's today's Golden State Warriors. I get it. But it was the 90s Bulls and Michael Jordan that taught me how to love basketball, right? And taught me what I, I, didn't, I didn't buy any. Don't get me wrong. I did not buy any Chicago jerseys. I did have the Michael Jordan Fleer baseball card. I did have that. That one I had. But in, and he did play for the Wizards, whatever. But, but you get the idea. I was not, I wasn't a bandwagoner in that sense. But you just can't believe the magic of the 90s. Remember, this is when the world's entertainment choices were not as democratized as they are today. Everyone kind of had a shared experience much more than they do now. It reminded me how much I loved basketball as a kid and the, and the wonderment of watching MJ in his prime, number one. Number two, I love all the side characters, big and small, from Rodman and his rebounds to Kukoc to Luke Longley, the Australian, and everybody else. I didn't realize that Scottie Pippen's agent who signed a $18 million seven-year deal was Dana White. Didn't know that. <laughs> I'm making a joke, dude. Oh, dude, I thought that was real. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm making a joke. I this, was like, where did I miss that? This is a good deal, you goof. Don't be a wimp. Dank it. Uh, but I didn't realize he was so criminally underpaid. And here's the other part about it, man. Like, folks don't understand. LeBron was pegged as the star from the age of, like, 14. I remember in 2002 when I was graduating college, he was, like, 16 and on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Right. He was just known as this guy. But for Pippen, it wasn't the case. And for Jordan, obviously he got good by senior year, but he wasn't like a national-level phenom in the way that, that LeBron was so early. But those difficulties, man, it made him tough and mean and talented. I am loving this documentary. And I love just reliving the 90s with the, with the suits that don't fit. Remember all these, you know what I mean? It's like, dude, can you fuckers find a tailor somewhere? You got enough money, even you, Scotty. Um, it was cool to see how the how the front office worked. What have you been loving about this documentary? Uh, number one, the fact that apparently I forgot so much about that era and that team. Like I forgot they essentially fell apart because when I watched sports, it was I wasn't a big sports center guy. It was I watched the game, maybe the post show afterward, and that was it for me. That, that the game was over. So I forgot about all the strife with Jerry Krause. And just him systematically undoing a championship just destroyer in the NBA, which I could not get over laughing. I'm like, you know how fast you'd be fired right now if you oh. just dismantled a championship team? And somehow he kept that job for almost another 10 years. Well, here's the other part about it. He did keep the job for another 10 years, but he also built it. You know, he also built it. He was good about building. His problem was he was constantly looking for a supernova. He was just ready. He was he was too eager. Like the thing that made him talented in in drafting Pippen and getting uh, Horace right. That's that's his skill. It's the same thing that undercut him in terms of understanding how to keep chemistry and longevity. That was his his strength was simultaneously his weakness. Yeah, that and the like, the one thing I have loved. This feels like a more honest Michael Jordan than I've seen him in interviews. Like he seems like he's really being raw and just letting his emotions out. 
as far as how he saw the situation is going yeah. to. My only regret is they're not going to show him probably too much on the Wizards because <laughs> I want to see him just turn Kwame Brown into ground Chuck, you know? I mean, he absolutely destroyed that kid and his confidence from the word go. So <laughs> I would actually love to see that a little bit, but I guess it won't be part of it. Uh, but you do see him berate teammates. You do see him, especially when, when, when Pippen was injured. He, he and, and they probably showed very little of it. He was uncompromising, I think is a fair way to put it. Yeah, he felt like he had to rally the troops. And you laugh. Like, I forgot about that early struggle when Pippen was out, just how bad they were playing. Like, Jordan's dropping like 50 a game, and they're still losing. Like, that's how crazy it was. Like, the rest of the team can't fill that spot that Pippen had for them to win games. You could see this the frustration mounting in him. And they show you the scene where he's in practice and just – going after teammate after teammate after teammate yeah. to step it up. It's pretty crazy. And then they show him, like, uh, not, not at the top of the key, but, like, at the side of the key, essentially, looking to make a play, and he's looking for the – and this is in the middle of a game – and he's looking for his teammates to be in position, and you could see him visibly sigh and roll his eyes <laughs> in the middle of a game. You're like, God damn, dude. He can't even hide it. Do you know what it kind of reminded me of? There's a moment – this is going back a little bit – when Roger Huerta fought Clay Guida – and it was like the 90th time Clay Guida took Roger Ware to down. And you could just see the front. Like you saw him make a face of like, God damn it. I can't believe he just did it again. It was that same look that Jordan had of like, is there really no one open right now? He's like, this is crazy. Like, what do I have to do to win a game here with this team? But when they showed him in game two winning or losing, but uh, scoring 63 points at the Garden, just an unbelievable – and this is not in the era of threes. I mean, most of those were – uh, two-point jump shots. I mean, maybe he got a foul in some of them, but that was just, you know, two, 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 two. And then, dude, his relentless ability to, like, attack and find the basket, his speed off the off the, the dribble, the way to get opponents to go one direction, he goes the other. Golly, dude, he was a tour de force. And, that, and there's been great quotes the whole time, too. Larry Bird being like, oh, that wasn't Michael Jordan out there. That was God disguised as Michael Jordan. I was like, whoa, man. Yeah, well, you dropped 63 on that Celtics team. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to get everyone's respect on that other side. Yeah, well, I mean, what was it four seven-footers nearly? Something like that? Walton, McHale? Like the entire starting five made the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crazy that he was able to do that. Um, was there anything else from that documentary that you liked? So far, we're only two episodes in, by the way. Yeah, um, just the kind of the internal struggle with Jerry Krause and the team, which I didn't realize was as bad as it was at the time. I mean, I was still a kid, so I didn't realize how crazy and how much you know tension what there was between him and the players. Um, I did find it interesting that one story about how when Jordan hurt himself and came back with his foot injury, they were just limiting him to, to legitimately seven minutes per half. And they had the one game where they were trying to make the playoffs and Jordan was at the end of his 14 minutes that he was allowed to play. There was only about 30 seconds left in the game, and they benched him on a crucial moment, and that was kind of the breaking point for him with management being like, okay, apparently you guys aren't about the sport. You guys aren't about winning. You're just worried about a draft spot or whatever the hell you're looking to do. You don't care about what we're supposed to be doing out here. And like that being like, whoa, okay. <laughs> apparently Jordan took that one pretty harsh. Psychotic. Psychotic. One of my other favorite uh, stories is when um... – it turns out Michael Jordan bought Scottie Pippen a set of golf clubs, but only so that when they played, he could just take money from him on bets. <laughs> it's just like the dude was a I mean, but he had nice things to say about Scottie, called him the best teammate he ever had. Uh, Scottie does not come off looking bad here. Scottie comes off looking 
like he got done wrong and maybe acted out in a way that wasn't necessarily either in his or the team's best interest, but also in a way where you could understand that a wounded man who deserved better, you know, maybe he's not going to make the best decisions necessarily ever. And you could, he, he, he came across here as a very sympathetic character, I thought. Well, you can go one of two ways with that. You could say it was his own fault for signing that dumb deal for the for seven yeah, years. Which, by the million. way, for folks who haven't seen, he said he did for security's sake, basically. Yeah, which is understandable. But <laughs> apparently, uh, I'm forgetting the owner's name, him saying, like, I told him that you probably shouldn't do this, but he did it anyway. And my whole thing is, you signed the contract. I don't want to hear from you later on. So yeah. so you could you could lose some sympathy. I think some people might see what he was doing as selfish near the end. But it is funny, man. Like, you almost forget how criminally underrated he is as like an all-time player like he's not gonna be one of the first names you mentioned when you oh give me your top five but he was so damn good he just happened to play next to michael jordan and it didn't i think i don't think it resonated with people as much until way after the fact yeah no doubt about it and who, who do you end up playing for portland in the end i think portland yeah i think he, that was his yeah, next we stop ha- we haven't got that far along here's one thing i'll say about this documentary as well and again i know a lot of mma fans are not sports fans i don't know what to tell you man like, if you watch MMA long enough, obviously it's a different sport. I'm not saying this is the true trajectory for everyone because some people are just into fighting and that's it. But if you care about if you care about sports on any level, part of what you appreciate is athletic excellence. And that doesn't mean you have to like every sport. But, um, you know, there's a certain majesty and beauty in watching someone like Michael Jordan and those 90s, bull, 90s era Bulls compete, for starters. And I think the second thing I'd say is, uh, I saw a friend of mine on Twitter from DC Media say this. Now, this might be overselling it a little bit, but his argument was, and he's part of, like, he covers uh, the Redskins. His argument was, this is the first time since maybe the Super Bowl, certainly since the quarantine, let's say, that the nation kind of got together and had a communal experience through something airing on television. I don't think that's wrong. I mean, you could say Tiger King, but Tiger King aired at your discretion. This aired at one time during the week where everyone had to be locked in together. Now, we'll see what the numbers are in terms of the ratings to see if that's just him. You know, sports media bubble speaking inside of a sports media bubble. We'll see. But it didn't feel automatically wrong to me. Yeah, and I kind of laughed. It kind of hit me watching this. You know, when when Kobe passed away, people talked about how he was kind of this next generation's Jordan, just with how good he was and how he could take over games, stuff like that. And it didn't quite hit me until rewatching this and just remembering all the times I got to watch Michael Jordan and like how much I loved basketball watching him play. Yeah. And how much I pretty much stopped watching when he retired. Right. I was I was kind of done. I, I that's the, really the last time I wa- I follow basketball game to game. It, it died when he left. So I just being able to look back and be like, God, I got to see this guy play. One of the Maybe the best player of all time that's ever hit the NBA. It's true. I got to watch him play. It's it was it was cool rewatching a little Dude, bit. It was a total joy to watch him play, just the way he could take over and how versatile player he was, and the soaring heights he could reach, quite literally, physically. Um, it, it it never felt like any game was beyond his grasp, you know, ever, ever. And Kobe was amazing, right? I mean, obviously one of the best of all time. And I realize part of this is just generational, and no one cares. I'm not a football or uh, basketball expert, but. I never, ever felt like Kobe was really a threat to what Jordan did. He was certainly a threat to just about everyone else who played the game, but not Jordan. LeBron is a little bit different. LeBron, I feel like you got a real argument there, but not with Kobe. That's just my – obviously, I know he's passed. Rest in peace. But you just get a sense of like – dude, Jordan was – 
Jordan was fucking mean, man. And Kobe was too, of course. But Jordan was just, he was a tough bastard. Do you know what's funny to me? They mentioned one thing about him. I think it's when they went to Paris that I felt almost was like a dig at LeBron a little bit where they talked about like Michael Jordan saw every game as a chance for a new audience to see him. So he was always going to play. He was always going to play his heart out. Yeah. And like he, like he did the load management thing of 14 minutes a game. And yeah. it was so disgusting to him that it drove a wedge <laughs> between himself and the front office. I'm for more enlightened perspectives, but I also appreciate that like the kind of guy that Jordan is, dude, he just can't give you any quarter there. It's just, that's, that's the way he lives, man. The other thing that kind of made me laugh, I kind of wonder if they'll cover it at any point. Whenever it came to like the best of all time, LeBron or Michael Jordan, those debates that come up, my brother's always pointed at something out and he's a way bigger basketball fan than I am. He's like, yo, when the game was on the line and they decided they needed Jordan to D up on somebody, he goes, that guy disappeared. He goes, I don't think he gets enough credit for how good of a defensive player he was too. But anytime they put him on, that guy did not score points. Like, So that's kind of the difference here between him and LeBron. Also, it's just a different era with the analytics. You know, if, yeah. what kind of numbers would Jordan have if he was just shooting threes constantly? You know, uh, and lastly, Scotty played great defense as well. Scotty was a was a was a rim to rim kind of uh, player too. Last thing, and we, and we haven't even gotten to Rodman yet. I know, <laughs> I know, dude. I can't wait. I just can't wait. All right, so let's do this. Uh, by the way, and the guy who made the documentary for all you MMA fans out there is the guy who did the Andre the Giant documentary for HBO. Um, we're going to try and get him on the show. There's still some things in the works on that. Confident we will. Not anytime soon, I don't think, but we will get him on. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, an incredible guy. Very, very talented filmmaker, to put it mildly. The biggest names in the fight game are on the Ock and Barack Show. Matchroom Sports Managing Director, Edna. This is a global pandemic that is taking hundreds of thousands of lives globally. And I feel... As much as we love sport, as much as we need live events for our business, we have to wait our turn. But what we can do is make sure that when that turn comes, we're ready. The Ock and Barack Show, weekdays from noon till 3 Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. All right, we are back. Luke Thomas Show. Uh, as always, email us, Show at gmail.com. And you can do that for voicemails. You can do that for written stuff. Just, just, Just do it. Is what I'm trying to tell you. Just effing do it, okay? All right, uh, we're back here. Let's check in with our intrepid producer. We haven't heard from him all day. It's the uh, king of bandits. I don't see any bandits in your dumb face today. No, I'm gum chewing instead. <laughs> it's a little bit better. Uh, do you ever have you ever done chewing tobacco in the side of your mouth, like the pouch? Not not sorry, not the pouch, but like a natural pouch in your mouth. What do you mean, like the long cut? Yeah, like a yeah, real wad to, of tobacco. Yeah, like in high school and a little bit in college, I used to do it that way. I always found that hard to control from a swallowing standpoint. I never found it hard to control, but like I said, the only reason why I switched over is that because it's just easier to clean out of your mouth. No, no, I'm talking, no, about- no, no. I don't mean dip. I mean a wad of chewing tobacco. Oh, a chew- no, I've never done chewing tobacco. No, yeah, just no. I've always just done like long cut. Yeah, I can dip all day normally like it's nothing, but the chewing tobacco, I like, you get these fat wads. I don't see how those guys do that without swallowing some of it. I don't think it's possible. Dude, I'm amazed major league athletes can play sports doing it, to be perfectly honest. That, that always blew me away. I know. I was like, dude, playing baseball at that level is hard enough. And you're going to add the the challenge of not swallowing tobacco. That's it. It's like Benson Henderson fighting with a toothpick. It's like, dude, you don't need to add these complications. You're fighting Nate Diaz, my guy. It's hard <laughs> yeah. enough. 
Dude, I agree. Like, I'll watch them. Like, I think I got, almost got sick just from dancing a little bit with it in my mouth. Like, yeah. these guys are out there, like, playing baseball and running around. I couldn't I, imagine. I could shove a chew in the side of my mouth, and it's like I'm on the couch and I'm seeing stars. Like, how are you hitting 100-mile-an-hour fastballs? I don't get it. Uh, real quickly on this, I got some thoughts I want to share, but very quickly, we started the show out. I was discussing John Jones' statements, that he's still going on about Anthony Smith, right? Being like, oh... Uh, you should have left the, you know, if you're not going to, if you're going to leave the garage door open, you need to have someone, you need to have a uh, guns or mace in the house. Otherwise someone like me could make a real bad night for you. And it's like, there's so many levels to that about how messed up it is. I want to know what you thought was the most messed up level. Cause you can assess this from a number of different ones. And also here was the one I had. So react to this one and tell me how you're also internalizing it. Speaking of that term, it's not that I find the antagonism between division rivals unusual in this way. I mean, it's it's beyond the pale, but, you know, division rivals say things that are beyond the pale on occasion. It's not great, but can I say it's unheard of? No, it's not unheard of. On the other hand, for him to be doing this right after he got arrested for his third offense related to... Um, improper use of a vehicle, let's say, two times, we know for a minute, by the way, he pled guilty. Two times, we know that he had uh, a DUI. Could have been a third one, who, who knows? And then the first thing you're doing out of there is making claims about how you'd rough someone up after their family had a basically a crazy man home invade. It's like, dude, I don't think he internalized the reasons why he got arrested even a little bit. No, not even close. That's the thing, like what you're talking about on its most superficial face value level. It is at the end of the day, just John Jones being like, oh, you're lucky it wasn't me. I'd have matched you up. Right. It's just it's just talk. But it's like, John, can you have a, a little bit of self-awareness? Like you just got convicted of another crime. Why don't you stop bragging about what you would have done? Had you had you been committing another crime? <laughs> <laughs> like because it doesn't look good, like. And it's something that Israel talked about too. Like maybe he's right. Maybe the reason why John posts and deletes is because his handlers are like, "Dude, stop it! <laughs> like, get it off! Get it off Twitter right now!" I don't know. I do. I mean, I don't get the sense that his hand. I mean, who knows, right? We haven't talked to Malky in a while. I don't get the sense that like his handlers are that hands on. I actually disagree a little bit with Israel there. Do we really think his handlers are like John? You need to get it to, to me. It seems like they're just totally. I mean, I'm guessing. I don't know, but. I don't know that, that that I don't I, I don't doubt that they tried to give him good advice when it matters. It seems to me like on this issue of the social media posting, they just thrown in the towel. Yeah, it's just weird to me. Like, it's like, dude, you <laughs> just got arrested. How the fuck are you antagonizing this guy over some family trauma? And not even like that too. Like, I feel like I'm with you in the sense of like, okay, the first couple times like John kept finding himself in trouble. It was like, oh Jesus, come on, John. And this last one, I own, like I felt some sympathy for the guy. It's like he has, he might have some real issues here that he needs to take care of. And the second he does that stuff with Smith, that sympathy is just out the window. It's like, dude, you have not learned a thing yet. And I feel like we're going to be headed for more of these because you apparently aren't taking in what's happening to you and trying to use it to improve yourself. Right. Right. Now, that gets to me to this point about Connor. You know, Connor over the weekend was posting, um, he took to Instagram, which I thought was kind of interesting. And, he put up the picture of him basically doing the perp walk in Brooklyn. Um, 
where he had been arrested. This was after chucking the hand truck or the dolly, whatever it was, at the bus for UFC 223. He had the blue shirt on and then the the denim jeans, and uh, he was walking out doing the perp walk. And it's two photos. It's that one is the first one, and then the second one is him on the cover of Fighters Only magazine. And here's what he wrote in the caption, which is, I ordered all of my powers back to me, and the order was followed. It is never too late, he spelled too wrong, to summon our powers and advance to higher ground. Never, ever too late. Whatever stage we are at, there is always higher power, but there is always higher ground. Good luck. The cover shot was taken backstage post my last bout. Thank you, Fighters Only Mag. Hard work, focus, rededication equals results. Now, I am not here to say that Conor McGregor has shown what John Jones can't because the reality is, as the New York Times reported, there appear to be at least one, if not two, outstanding cases open involving sexual reported sexual assault uh, investigations around Conor McGregor. Now, we don't know what the reality is with that. They could be bogus, but they're floating around. Um, he's had a number of other indiscretions. He recently punched that old dude in the back of the head, you know, jumping into the cage. Like, he's had his run-ins with the law. Um, so if he has made a turnaround, we can't declare it definitively yet. And even if it is true, he's still very much in the early stages of it. Which could mean that it's genuine, but just that you've got a long way to go before it sticks kind of a thing, right? Still, if you saw that interview with Ariel that he did, Ariel Hawani on ESPN, there was a lot of problems with that interview, and a lot of it was an obvious attempt to just stem the tide of bad publicity. But two things stand out to me now in retrospect about it. One, clearly he could tell that when the video leaked of him punching the dude in the back of the head... It turned a lot of people who were Connor defenders, like stalwart Connor defenders, it turned them against him. And I think he felt that. And I think he felt like I'd kind of crossed a point where that's not, you know, some fans are going to like me, some people are going to hate me. But when the fans who like me begin to get pissed, that's something I don't want to, I don't want to, that's when you're really headed down a dark path. And I think the second thing that stands out to me about it, beyond just maybe the PR necessity of it all, Although the 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 moment there, um, you can actually have an interview with Connor where he apologizes and it could matter. Think about it this way: if John did an interview coming out and apologizing for that thing, would anybody care? Would anybody like you know? I'm not saying you wouldn't take it seriously necessarily, but what's the most amount of? I don't know. What's the word? What's the most amount of seriousness you'd give it? What's the most amount of attention you'd pay? You'd be like, all right, well, he's doing the PR tour again. Which, again, you'd say for Connor, but even for all of Connor's mistakes, they haven't been as consistent over a longer period of time with, I would argue, again, what we're known for, the stuff that's outstanding, I don't know, such that you can do an interview if you're Connor and people, you know, they might need to hear it. It won't please everybody, but it might help a little bit. In other words, there's like rehabilitation left related to the work, the damage he had caused his own image. I'm not here to say that John has no rehabilitative possibilities. I think that'd be exaggerating it. But you've seen that song and dance with him so many times. So many times where he does, he did the, the walk and talk with Ariel. I remember when I went to MMA fighting, he did it. 
and he's done various other sit downs where he's come back and said things have changed. Like you know, I guess there's the, there's always an appetite for that content, but the fact that Connor has had so relatively speaking fewer of those, and that now what is he known for? Yeah, he's battling with Sinead O'Connor on Twitter, but he's donating uh, PPE to the frontline healthcare workers in Ireland. He has that elder statesman role he was trying to take. He, you know, he's engaging people with banter back and forth on Twitter, but he seems to have a renewed and positive attitude. Now, again, whether that's just PR, I don't know. Whether it's real, maybe, but it's, he's still at the beginning stages of it. We are not at a point where we can declare Connor has figured this out and John hasn't. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. But it's impossible not to notice some of the differences, too. It's impossible. It's impossible not to notice some of the differences, too. And... You know, I saw that stuff from John that he was saying to Anthony Smith, and I was like, I was appalled, man. I was legitimately appalled. One, like when Colby went after Kamaru for his father being incarcerated, that just felt really awful. But again, you know, you kind of understand division rivals, particularly guys who either have fought each other or are going to fight each other. You know, they're going to say on occasion nasty things, and you don't like it, but you kind of learn to live with it. All right, I can learn to live with this one, too. But to my knowledge, Colby's not out there in, you know, recklessly endangering himself and others. You know, say what you want about Colby, he's not doing that. And to, to do that stuff so close to what had just happened, my God, man. Like I, I had a friend, a buddy of mine, he ended up being a very successful Army Ranger. This is true. He fought in Iraq. Um, he got an MBA when he got out. Um. You know, he, he, he he's a chief of staff for, uh, you know, I won't say which entity, but a, you know, very famous nonprofit here in the city. Like, he turned his life into something. I mean, he's a total success story. This dude had a DUI when we were in college. Now, I taunted him <laughs> when we picked him up, when we bailed him out. And I remember being like, because they took his license, I remember being like, uh, hey, Sam, you know, the name I'll use. Hey, Sam, could you give us a ride to the liquor store? Oh, he didn't like that joke too much. You know, that was not his favorite. But the point being was, I remember it was like a dark day, man. It was like a legitimately dark day. And, uh, but it was the one time, you know. And here he is, he ended up being like an incredibly successful officer in the military. And, you know, uh, out out of the military doing the same. I mean, he's just been a total success story. It's not like I've not seen those things. But I remember the conversations we had after that. It was like... You know, it was rough. It was rough. This is John's third time. And you're right away just antagonizing rivals on social media. It just feels like a deflection. And it just feels like there hasn't been a full internalization of the damage that's been done. Connor, we'll see. It's still, the jury's still out. But at least there's some hope there for uh, potential change. It's a, it's a crazy contrast. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.